You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Welcome back to another episode of Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Robert Thomas. Lex Cardone. We're recording on July 14th, 2019. So back for another episode. Actually, during the day, most of the time we're in the middle of the night. Like it feels like almost yeah. uh, recently. And we're trying uh, to shake off our vampire <laughs> habits. Yeah. It was, yeah, some afternoon drinking on a Sunday. Why not? Um, so today we're talking about some protests that are going on in Hong Kong and kind of that whole history a little bit. But as always, before we get to that, we'll be drink, going to our beers. So what are we having today, Ryan? We're having uh, United. You, what is this? Unita. Unita. Why is it spelled stupidly? It's probably not how you pronounce it. It's but. like U I. Well, you mixed up two letters. Oh, I did, didn't so. I? Dyslex. This that. But I put the lex in dyslexic. <laughs> I guess yeah. either Uinta or Uinta. Uinta. Nah, whatever. It's a a clear called Clear Days Juicy IPA. Um. From Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, yeah, which is like, I don't think they love their alcohol there. Well, like, I like on the side, the side of the the can, they have like a description of like they, they, uh, like a like a like a HP bar, like hops, malt, yeah. body color. A lot of hops, not so much malt. <laughs> body and color. This is really shocking information for an IPA. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see how it is. I like that. Yeah, it's pretty good actually. Yeah, it's actually really smooth. Yeah, pretty smooth. It's, is that it's so, also it's also brewed with renewable power, wind and solar. Nice. Is that why it's so juicy? Or maybe it should have, <laughs> it should have been called Crunchy IPA for that then. Yeah, I don't know. It's, but, right, uh, it's on their can. Their can has all kinds of information. This is like yeah. You should just like here's our beer. And there's also a compass on the around the edge of the lid here. Jeez. That's uh. Ah, damn it! It doesn't work though. <laughs> I was it's just painted on. Just, just rotate around it. the table yeah. until it was pointing the right uh, direction. Why is each want why, my goddamn money back, please? Why is each beer can uh, twenty dollars? I don't understand. Yeah. We had to put a compass on it. Did you? No, but we did anyway. Well, Mercury's in retrograde now, so you have to drink with in, with the right oh cor- uh, compass coordinates in the right direction. Get the fuck out! <laughs> just Rob and I will talk today. No, like, I'm gonna. I'm muting you the rest well, of the episode. Gonna, I, that's classic. Classic me. I'm just an asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> or the avocado. God, asshole. Anyway, anyway uh, what do we want to rank this this beer at with our untapped app? Um. Hmm. I would give this like a 3.5. Like it's smooth and plenty drinkable, but it doesn't really wow me with anything in particular. Like nothing yeah. jumps out. Uh, the thing is that I like it. I think it's also because it, since it's summer, it's like I feel like I can drink outside with this. Yeah, it's this is main, a beer you could put like, like two or three down. This is a summer IPA, then, when I, which I do like you, right now. Yeah, I'll give it a four. I'll go four. Yeah, I'll do three seven. Three seven five. No, I can't go. I can't go in between that. Oh damn! <laughs> yeah, and I can. I guess I don't know. They call it a juicy IPA. I wonder if that's like. There's reason behind that because there are some fruit notes to it, but. 
I looked this up one time because I was hoping you were going to ask. Cause we we've been doing. Been the... What does a hazy IPA mean? What is a? <laughs> well, it's what, like, yeah, what are it's all like these like, words? <laughs> like a special IPA, summer uh, special IPAs. A juicy mm-hmm. and a, apparently they're the same thing. Juicy and hazy. Yeah. What what like what's the? They uh. What's the gist? They have like low perceived bitterness. Yeah. And they smell. I don't know. It's it's. I think probably poured into glass. Like they're not. You can't see through them. There's a, a haze, if you will. <laughs> Ryan's done. Actually, I think Ryan's getting a glass to test. Her. Oh, I test my so. test my theory. Okay, well, you're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing science here. Is that what we're calling it? Oh, God. Political science. Oh. <laughs> Starting off hot, um, as usual. Oh, see, I told you so. It's still just foam. You're just foam. Fuck nerd. Got him. <laughs> Get moved. Yep. Well, that was clearly the wittiest moment in the history of this podcast. We have a lot of gems to yeah. fall back on. Yeah. Have Two you... years. We'll put together a, a, a compilation one time. <laughs> Worst jokes we've ever done. Yeah. But, uh, anywho. So, <laughs> while we're actually here today, not to talk about <laughs> juicy IPAs, what it actually means. God damn it. We also don't really know. <laughs> We're going to change that hopefully soon. But um, the last month, month and a half, I guess, at this point, there's been um, ongoing protests in Hong Kong over the recent um, – I guess the, government, the Hong Kong government tried to implement their extradition bill. Yeah, so this is something that's been ongoing really through June up till now. Uh, the Hong Kong government put forth a bill that would basically create a mechanism for – the Hong Kong government to approve extradition of people to other jurisdictions where they don't have a formal uh, extradition treaty or agreement. And because of some of the weird details of how administration of Hong Kong relative to the rest of the People's Republic of China is set up, that included mainland China. And that freaked a lot of people out because Hong Kong actually has a relatively independent, transparent judicial system, whereas mainland China has don't define the party. The Rob opposite doesn't <laughs> doesn't yes. You can say uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> kangaroo courts come to mind. Yet when they don't even have kangaroos. When you have basically predetermined verdicts with a ninety-nine percent conviction rate for. Any offense. Their prosecution um, teams are fucking solid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it raises that's, some questions. That's Mind what it is. you, that's aside from your... It's the entire cast of SVU, just <laughs> for the entire country. <laughs> They're just that good. <laughs> Continue. So. Anyway, so... So there was a, a major concern that this would basically allow the government in Beijing to put pressure on the Hong Kong government to extradite political dissidents or people facing kind of trumped up uh, financial white collar crime charges or other things basically as a way for the Chinese Communist Party to stifle dissent in Hong Kong more readily in the way that they're able to in the rest of mainland China. So you saw a huge protest movement develop. I mean, the, the upper estimates are potentially up to around 2 million people out of a population total in Hong Kong of about 7.5 million. So that's a pretty damn big proportion <laughs> yeah. there. 
Uh, and ultimately, the the chief executive for Hong Kong, Carrie Lam, basically said they were no longer going to to push this bill, but has not formally withdraw formally withdrawn it. Just said, okay, it's dead. We're not doing anything with it. But technically, they it's, haven't gone through all the administrative procedures so to, it, to it's still on the it table consideration yeah. in the legislative council permanently so protests are continuing uh and have expanded in a lot of ways demands have expanded including her resignation yeah. um and they've so hong kong as a territory doesn't just include the the core of the city but also some territory extended out from that onto a peninsula of mainland china so the protests in the last like couple days have been spreading to yeah. some of those smaller towns as well, hmm. uh, I even and like, having a lot of other things yeah. rolled into them. Even today, I think there were some pretty significant ones out, like in like what you would call suburbia the, for Hong Kong. Well, in the new territories in the Kowloon Peninsula, yeah, yep. where where most of this activism is naturally focused on the island of Hong Kong itself. It's kind of the center of the civic and cultural life of you know going back even to the British period. But um, <laughs> what I found interesting is the you know this. Extradition, extradition treaty issue was the you know the spark that lit the latest round but these um, resentments of uh, what has been termed you know encroachment of mainland authority into um, the special administrative region of Hong Kong that's been going back you know ever essentially ever since the British handover in 70s in 97 and um, you know recently in the last few in 2014 they um, manifested themselves in the umbrella protests. So I was thinking we could talk, talk about that a little bit because that's, yeah. um, it, it, I mean, extradition is huge and it is a, you know, worldwide, this is a seen as a stifling um, effect on, you know, activism and all that. But this, it's so much bigger than just, just well, extradition. Yeah. Well, the thing is, with, 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 even with that, most extradition treaties is usually a mutual thing between countries for the most part. Yeah. Some sort of benefit. You, this is like, you we're could, putting it out there. It's our like, citizens can be extradited to you. Yours can be extradited to us based on a, all these factors, fair trial, whatever and, you want to call. This is very much a one-way. And people can, from PRC out. can't not yeah. be extradited to Hong Kong. Yeah. Is that right or am I wrong? Do they have – is there a – yeah, we, we talked about how the Russian, you know – Russians will not extradite their citizens anywhere, but yeah, can I'm, I'm pressure sure. neighbors. Is that the same for the Chinese? I... I'm not sh- sure off the top of my head whether there's anything on paper, really, but I mean, Precedent in, practice, seems, yeah. in practice, even though there are certain degrees of autonomy and independence in the judicial system, the Hong Kong government is subordinate to oh. the government in Beijing. Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, they have the ultimate authority on how they want to handle criminal matters relating to residents of, of the mainland mm-hmm. with even less intermediate barriers than how they would be able to handle things dealing with Hong Kongers. Yeah. Well, I've seen that the main, like, it's it's a kind of a weird trade thing where people from the mainland will buy a bunch of, like, a, like in bulk, tons of things from Hong Kong and then go sell it back in China, and it's like, it's kind of skirting around, like, trade laws, I think. It's something along those lines. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. So that... <clears throat> I mean, that's a good point to kind of wait, provide but... <laughs> a, little, a little bit of the context, though, of the relationship between Hong Kong and the rest of mainland China, because it's a complicated and unique dynamic. I mean, Hong Kong was a, a British colony for a pretty long period of time from the 1800s up until the end of the 20th century, 
and during the the tail end of that at least the british started to incorporate stuff more resembling their own system with open an open judicial system common law uh freedom of freedom of speech and so forth when colonialism goes right yeah <laughs> things that are not to put it lightly features of the chinese the mainland chinese judicial system right one well, <laughs> one well, i mean during the the latter portion of british control hong kong had also become a major economic and financial hub right for the region and had i mean had its own had still has its own currency own economic regulations but was sort of a it benefited a lot from being an intermediary with the opening up of markets in different parts of the east coast of of mainland china uh, so anyway you, you come to a period where sort of the long-term lease that the british had is, is coming up to run out uh it and during a little bit in the late 70s, but especially in the 80s, they start having talks with the People's Republic of China's leadership about the status of Hong Kong. And they eventually come to an agreement that 97, they hand it over to kind of once again become properly part of the People's Republic of China, but with a mutually agreed formal like in writing right. set of conditions that Hong Kong would retain a certain degree of autonomy in its judicial system, its administration, uh, its economics for a minimum of 50 years from the point of the handover. Uh, and note that that's a minimum. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> say anything about what things should look like after that, but the idea was to create a buffer right. really for a lot of those questions to be worked out. Yeah, by another generation of Chinese and Hong Kong citizens. So. Well, and, and I think we can safely assume, given that everyone had a perception that China economically liberalizing would lead to political liberalization, that the British was, assumption... Gotcha! The problem would fix itself. <laughs> yeah, that the British assumption was, by that far ahead, the government in Beijing would be operating in a, a manner much more in line with western liberal yeah. and democratic principles than it was at the time of the handover mm -hmm. and now we Su surprise. have a lot of <laughs> yeah. reason to doubt how how much success we'll see in that in yeah. that move and there's been kind of a creeping um in terms of a lot of different areas political civic you know like even even the economic sphere which has kind of been the most important pillar of this kind of special status that Hong Kong has had since the 97 handover. Um, we've seen China involve or mainland China involve itself in, in internal, in the affairs of Hong Kong in ways that hadn't been really predicted or fully understood by the negotiating powers. Yeah. I mean, they, they've really made a lot of moves to find ways to control how things operate in Hong Kong without violating sort of the, the letter of, the different provisions for autonomy mm -hmm. and i mean a big part of that is the government in beijing has multiple different levers through which they help control who gets into political office in hong kong right which is one of the reasons why the protest movements 
not just this current one, but some of the ones that we've yeah. seen in, in, in past 2014, years. that was a big issue. Of yeah. Who could but, run for elections and what? Well, yeah. But a, a lot of what's driven these protest movements is a perception that, well, we don't get to truly elect our government and we don't trust our government here to actually represent our interests as as residents and citizens mm -hmm. as opposed to taking orders from Beijing. Ryan looks like he is <laughs> pondering something that may or may not actually add any value to this discussion. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> it's got so where we're at right now is just there's protests ongoing for about a month and a half. There's the government's like, oh, you know, we can say, you know, we're gonna play it, you know. Oh no, no, it's dead. But we're not taking it off the table. We're not actually removing yeah. it. It's just like hoping you forget, but they won't. Yeah. Was this was this measure introduced? You know, obviously by the Carrie Lam government, um, thinking it would kind of slip under the radar, or or just sort of an administ like it kind of found its way up. Like the who's like, whose bright idea was this? Is like kind of <laughs> well, probably I mean, someone in Beijing. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to to read what the conversations might have been behind closed doors. But one of the things that that's important to note about this is the bill itself was a like on paper about creating a mechanism for dealing with extradition issues generally. Right. Between Hong Kong and any other place where in they the are, world don't... where they don't have a pre existing extradition treaty. Which so one of the... which is mainland china right so <laughs> oddly enough so it's all about the subtext rather than the text right. in that sense because the way it's written it, it's not specifically about mm -hmm. hong kong relative to the mainland it's about hong kong relative to the rest of the world but the reasons that people are concerned are wait a minute the main place where we see this potentially being applied and being a source of potential abuse is with right. mainland China. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's nice on paper. It worked out. You want to have better cooperation with other countries because, you know, if you have your citizens doing doing some fuckery, you want to have other countries deal with it. But then it's like, well, the PRC is going like, to basically say, hey, we want this person. They're like, all right, cool. We'll send them to you now. Yeah, and you know <laughs> that the person writing this bill, whatever the text, the actual text is, had um, the PRC in mind. I mean, this is clearly. It like, seems it should, like it should be like everyone but the PRC. Yeah, <laughs> then maybe it'd be okay. But well, like, and this, yeah. I mean, this goes back to this issue of, of people in Hong Kong not trusting their own local government, right? Because it's it's not freely and openly elected, and there is a general public perception yeah. that they take, e even though there is leverage that different constituencies in Hong Kong have, they take marching orders from Beijing in a very serious way, and so the perception is. Yeah, if we had a government that we really elected and was responsive primarily to our concerns and our public opinion, then maybe we could trust them with the discretion in a yeah. mechanism like that. Because but when they're taking orders from Beijing, we can't trust their discretion on that. Yeah, because Beijing vets candidates and a lot of what they, you know, there there has to be a certain level of um you know you have to hit, you have to you have to cross the, the t yeah no there's for lack of a better word but you have to acknowledge the supremacy of the chinese government you have to acknowledge a lot of different factors that um for a lot of people for more the more you know 
for many of Hong Kong residents, and many of whom, especially the older ones, have nostalgia for the British era, and even the younger ones have nostalgia for the, you know. I mean, the irony in a lot of ways is that the there's at least some indication that proportionately it's the younger generation. They're the ones leading millennials the and right. teenagers who are particularly uh, prone to kind of romanticizing certain aspects of right. the British era hmm. as a way to push back against what they see as the first country ever to see an erosion of what they grew up with right uh with encroaching mainland influence on their domestic right lives and, which is what you see that within like the that. protests you see divisions between you know millions and millions of people marching but you also have the people who break into the legislative council who wave the colonial era flags so it's not like a unitary movement there's so that was actually my question do you know like, is there any kind of percentage that we could find that says, like, people are either pro-PRC or they're pro-Hong Kong? Like, or they're, they're pro, like, you know, being independent. Like, how much is it, how much divide is there? Because when the protests happen, it always seems like a good amount of people, but... So, in independence is a tricky thing to even talk about measuring in a poll because that would be such a, a red flag issue. But... But I, I mean, I think that the general consensus is in favor of autonomy. The question is, to what extent do different proportions of the population see greater alignment with mainland politics as being inevitable versus something that they see a, a merit in and a hope for resisting and maintaining that kind of autonomy over the longer term but i mean the the percentage numbers on people in hong kong who identify primarily as hong kongers relative to primarily as chinese yeah. Yeah. is very very high and growing year on year really yeah because you hear i mean the the um i think you know you have millions of people on the streets for these protests but you also have the the pro beijing crowd bringing in maybe 40 people to uh, <laughs> salute the passage of the extradition bill. Um, so there is a segment of China or, you know, Hong Kong society that is more, you know, we need to have a closer relationship with Beijing. But generally speaking, you're saying, you know, people identify Hong Kong first, Chinese second. A very large proportion, yeah. at least. Yeah. And I mean, the I, th I think the irony is that a lot of the efforts in the time since 97 that the government in Beijing has taken to kind of insinuate more and more influence over mm -hmm. Hong Kong politics have exacerbated that. They've, it's a, it's blowback in a lot of ways. Do you have a lot of, uh, physical migration of mainlander Chinese into the Hong Kong territories? I know that, I know there's a lot of like people, well, there's a lot of Chinese money coming mainland money coming in, whether it's shopping, whether it's investment, whether it's, you know, buying up properties, retail. So you basically have border controls and immigration controls similar to what you would have between two different countries. Right. So, so it's not like, from, yeah. People from the mainland can't just take a train over and find an apartment and yeah. change, like, you may not need a visa, but you need a go, passport. Go to the DMV really? equivalent okay. <laughs> and say, I'm changing my residency. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, you you actually did have a 
a pretty large influx um, both during the Chinese Civil War right. uh, in the 40s and in the years immediately after that mm-hmm. uh, when, it, when it was still a British colony from people fleeing yeah. the, the communists. Um, but right now, whether you're talking people from mainland China or immigrants from Otherwise, elsewhere, yeah. getting full residency in Hong is Kong. not easy to do. Which is pretty standard in East Asian countries, so it's not completely unusual for the well and and china has even domestically in the normal regions of the mainland without these kinds of administrative distinctions that a place like hong kong has china has a lot more restriction on movement of residency yeah even within china right uh, which has created all kinds of problems over the decades when it comes to urbanization and people actually having access to social services and economic mobility yeah uh, if they try to move Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna throw in just a an interesting snippet that was literally in a news bulletin that popped up on my phone this morning okay Uh, so pretty fresh so at least according to a report that uh, the financial times uh broke recently they've got sources indicating that carrie lamb the chief executive in hong kong has actually, during the course of the protests, multiple times tried to resign. Really? And, the and ch- has been told by Beijing, <laughs> no, you can't. Because that's what if that's become That's a not demand. what the party would do. That's become a sort of a... Or, or was, it, was it Carrie Lam or was it the um, interior... I, maybe I'm mixing things up, but they wanted some high-profile resignation um, as part of the ever-growing set of demands set forth by the protest movement well they so they had one one individual from the the legislature who right did resign and then the 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 interior interior minister minister, right the one um, controlling the police response yeah there was there were demands for him to resign after the police response got more violent at one point Mm -hmm. uh and he dug his heels in and refused and i haven't yeah. actually He's... come across anything more about that case in particular since uh, then uh there have been so many other things bubbling up yeah. in the course of this that it's not gotten so a lot what of is follow-on news coverage what is the communist party gained from having carrie lamb at least nominally in control not making concessions right i mean that's i i think that's ultimately the issue is also makes them look bad if they think if, they if their if their guy goes or yeah yeah but i mean ultimately the Chinese Communist Party has a, an enormous preoccupation with social stability interpreted through the unchallenged control of the country by the Chinese Communist Party itself. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of looking weak in the face of popular pressure by backing down on major issues in terms of protests is... A big lightning rod there right like there there are times when they might in mainland affairs kind of find a scapegoat of yeah people are are upset because there was like contaminated food so we're gonna that made people drum sick or kill this person people. out and yeah. so we've got a scapegoat who we can throw in throw into court who is very a, a local party official <laughs> throw him into court execute him there we go yeah um akimov <laughs> But the idea of 
a sort of theoretically the buck stops here official like the chief executive yeah uh stepping down is a precedent that they i'm sure don't want to see so but does this policy it, it seems like that would be tactically the right move from them because i mean that would show a loss of face and everything but in the case that this causes the pressure to comp- the this causes the pressure to keep building against Carrie Lam and her and their administration um are there any potential dangers in that in that strategy digging your heels in because it seems like that works typically in well, these kinds of societies well i mean one of the interesting things that's going on right now with the protest movement is they are very actively so knowing that the government in Beijing has put its censorship machine into overdrive yeah. to minimize news of these protests in Hong Kong, even like making it to the eyes and ears of people elsewhere in China. Um, the, a lot of the protest leaders are explicitly finding ways to try and increase their mainland knowledge. Uh, th- well, their ability right. to get this in front of people from the mainland and make them aware. Right. Everything from doing chants in the more widely spoken Mandarin dialect right. instead of the dialect Kentities. that they speak in Hong Kong primarily, to handing out leaflets with the simplified Chinese characters that are used on the mainland instead of the ones that are used in Hong Kong, yeah. to specifically moving protests into areas frequented by Chinese mainland Chinese yeah. tourists. Uh, in the region there were talk of you know everyone's closer and closer to the border popping up in shopping malls where there's a lot of you know cross you know there's a lot of cross uh, people going over to shop and bring bring goods back and so they've been yeah they've been they've been specifically targeting that's an interesting strategy it's it's a it's a deliberate move to subvert efforts to contain and cut off knowledge of it which of course has the the other side of the coin which is what could freak out the Chinese Communist Party more than a risk of contamination, so to speak, yeah. of of the ideas and images of this percolating more into the rest yeah. of? Because you're seeing mainlanders who visit Hong Kong are being interviewed by you know both Hong Kong and international press saying, "Wow, you know, I didn't really know about any of this because the government has suppressed it so much." So, it's it's just, is there a critical mass of people? coming into Hong Kong and learning about it and, you know, disseminating it in any way? Or is that even possible? <laughs> so with, with the press thing, I was reading something earlier today. Um, TVB is like a some news station or whatever in, in, in Hong Kong, but it's like the entire time they've been pushing more a pro-Beijing like agenda. Like, oh, look at the protests that are happening. But like, they're having no context why the protests yeah. are happening. Kind of like, look at the violence, like all this stuff. And it's very much like in the – in was kind of going in a bad direction is like protesters are attacking those journalists they figure out they work for this, this station yeah or like get them like tell me get the fuck out of here because they're basically they're being they're just very how how is how widespread it is in media in hong kong actually chinese bias yeah like because we know the government mainland. is typically very much yeah. an, an appendage of the but there are the uh, there are independent there are, like, yeah. um yeah there, there is a free press it's just there's also a, a government press i guess well yeah i mean like if if we look at at China today, we're not looking at the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War. It's a very different approach to the information environment where instead of having a highly monopolized state media structure 
you have your official or semi-official media outlets, but you also, you know, you, you learn how the market works and you find ways to co-opt ostensibly private sources. Hired guns. Uh, and <laughs> not that we... The pen we, is might here. Not that we've ever seen that elsewhere in the world. Um, I don't understand. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I, but and and so they and so they are capable of applying that in in Hong Kong in a way that a a more frankly clunky uh, approach to information management like the Soviet one would not have been able to adapt to as readily because they can take techniques that they use on the mainland to to co-opt and steer yeah. private news outlets and apply them in Hong Kong. And so that means that you can have ones that are very resistant to political influence, but they're also in the same marketplace as ones that yeah. are being so the forces there, for, you know, nudged. yeah, and that you know that determines listenership, viewership, whatever you want to call it. I mean, these, the, yeah, it's much more. It seems much more streamlined than the classic, you know, the Russian reading the. Pravda and just not believing anything because they have experience not believing anything. But yeah, yeah. Russians have their dreams. It's creative. But um, yeah. I, so with with kind of the protests themselves, like we've seen violence, you know, on different scales, like from the protesters, from the police. The police have handled it better than most, you know, the mainland would have. But like, <laughs> hey, hey, we're tr- we're trying our best not. Yeah, to there's hurt been people. a lot of hot takes <laughs> about you know Chinese tanks rolling into Hong Kong. But like, but, the, uh, the, the the thing is like. The pro- there's been like there's been blatant violence from the protesters. I'm not just like it, and like not not considering why, but it still happened. You know, and they they have a re- reason to be angry, but the thing is like perception wise, it fucks of them overseas because it yeah, looks bad. and that well, like the main yeah a, a lot of uh, I mean it's a decentralized activist movement, yeah, so there are, there I mean, isn't one boss. I mean, also look at look at proportionality here. The amount of violence that you actually seen relative to the scale Two of the million protests people? Yeah. <laughs> is minuscule. Oh yeah, the minuscule worst. The worst that they did was any major protest movement but, but, anywhere. But the problem, right. is, the problem is, it doesn't fucking matter. It really does because no one, no they, one's going to take. They just picture. Yeah, you know, but here's the, but here's the thing. It depends on your audience because this the, is true. You're. So the people fighting cops sells better than fucking you know people not or, fighting. Yeah, cops. the fact but, that they broke but, in and. To the legislator, and well, that was all funny. they did was spray some slogans and stuff, and that then was, peaceably left. That was, that was funny. I mean, that was good. Yeah, no one cared. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like you, so you have an interesting juggling act with some of the media outlets on the mainland, where their dominant response is to completely ignore that this is happening and not talk about it at all. Oh yeah, and it's in the a TNM couple strategy. cases, in a couple cases, try to play up images of violence from protesters but i don't think you get much mileage out of that because there's there's so little to actually show for it compared to most protest movements most places like you don't have a rash of like mass looting or mass casualties among the cops or or Mm -hmm. anything like that that would give you a lot of propaganda ammunition and frankly most foreign audiences at this point are sufficiently distrustful of anything that the Chinese Communist Party says or its organs say about issues of dissent 
that you just don't have in even in countries that have warmer relations with the people's republic than than we do you have a, a cynical enough audience about how they well, do things to not be very swayed by it. So here's the, it's not even through the PRC who gives a fuck about them. It, this is I saw this shit on Reuters, like yeah, you know. But I think like you see, still, you know, the it, Global Times being taken as seriously as the Korean Central News News Agency is, with maybe less hyperbole and more editorial yeah. flash to it. But uh, still, it's it, well, and the and the Reuters reporting has like covered instances of violence, but the Reuters reporting has not given in anything that i've read a spin of oh this is really a bunch of evil crazy people recognize oh, yeah no, there isn't no, much no. editorial oh, no 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 i'm not saying it's a thing. i'm just like saying like it's 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 something that can be people will stop caring they won't care like oh you're attacking cops you know i think with that kind of stuff being reported more regularly because it, it's happening when the police do a brutal crackdown because people are protesting illegally People was are gonna it, have a less fucking. They're gonna be like, I, I feel like would be like, I'm, I feel less bad about it. Was this from this round of protests where like they were, or maybe it was some uh, a recent issue in Hong Kong where um, the protesters actually left the streets cleaner after the protest before than before they were no, there. No, that was like, Algeria. Uh, oh, <laughs> that was uh, yeah. that was the the uh, I guess. But then there was like a, yeah, like images. Was, no, yeah. that was it was it was Algeria. Yeah. No, but no, but that was it was. I feel like it was I mean, also that, in Hong Kong. That where wouldn't surprise me. There was kind of a, a group, very well organized in that way. Uh, like well organized, but like not organized by anybody. It's kind of just an internal kind of. We don't want to cause too much damage, but we want to you know take the streets and make I, our well, case. And it's, it's a it's it's a very much a. You know, I think I think it's important to distinguish between the dynamics of a protest movement that's based on the idea that the whole system is malicious and aligned against you, mm-hmm. and therefore everything is suspect, versus what we have here is a protest movement that says, we have problems here, but ultimately we are fighting to strengthen and preserve what's healthy about our society and our community yeah. and stop it from encroachment and erosion from outside forces. And, and yeah. that's a dynamic that lends itself, I think, to a, on the whole, a, a much more yeah. cooperative and civically responsible um, <laughs> yeah, there's not approach like a... to things, which is why you, despite the enormous scale of this, you've really not seen the anything resembling the the disruption and damage that you might expect with other protests of similar size yeah. in other situations in time and place yeah you, you don't see the raw hopelessness that you see in a lot of like street protests in the arab world and let's think it's my dawn you know okay, it's Jesus, it, let's be clear that's not what i'm saying is happening <laughs> you have institutions you have i mean a first world society um but and it, the What's heartening to me is the fact that they've come, you know, it's, there's not a complacency because they know that can be eaten, and it has been to a certain degree, that can be eaten away, um, you know, that kind of standard of living, that that standard of, you know, political access and, you they know, don't voice. It. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we, we like what we have. We want to maintain what we have. We understand this is not a permanent, not necessarily a permanent state of affairs. So it's yeah, it, yeah. It's a, so there's a long memory here. No, there there is. And I think that it's solid that they're 
I mean, that they're out there protesting. Cause it matters to, to their future, literally, because, like, oh, okay, these little things, this is where it starts. The little pricks from the URC, like, okay, okay, now extradited people, even, like, they'll choose reasons for, like, you know, less, and, like, sure, maybe for criminal stuff, I'm mostly fine with that there's actual criminal activity happening, or it's, like, you like posting 17 in a square. Well, I mean, Tiananmen Square is an interesting touch point because it, it, I think, is a, a good reminder that a lot of what we're talking about with Hong Kong is not confined to Hong Kong. It, it has to do with precedence for what goes on with China more broadly and China's interaction with other territories and other countries in the region. It's about ex exalting influence in the region. Well, and so, I mean, the, the situation of Hong Kong has often been described by people as sort of a canary in the coal mine when yeah. it comes to what we can expect from the government in Beijing on many other fronts, but especially with respect to Taiwan, because this whole one country, two systems approach between Hong Kong and the mainland has always been cited as sort of the ideal of what a peaceful reunification of the mainland and yeah. Taiwan might look like in a way that is mutually acceptable. And when people in Taiwan or people elsewhere abroad who have a stake in Taiwan in some way see an erosion of this one country, two systems approach or a subversion of this approach in Hong Kong, then the whole idea that this represents a, a sample for what a, a meaningful solution to cross-strait relations with Taiwan could look like, it just looks less and less credible okay. by the year. And I think you, you see that in politics in Taiwan. But frankly, a, I think it also speaks volumes about the direction of the Chinese Communist Party in general, which is it's, it's a very tangible reminder of how much their focus is on the stability and supremacy of the party and the ruling system. And they're not at all inclined to give that up. I mean, you're talking about a party that has both a, a deep ideological history based in not just Marxism, but Leninism with all of the thoughts about political tactics and alignment that come from that. And that's frankly very sensitive to the history of Chinese dynastic politics and cycles in their own country over thousands of years that leads to a, a huge skepticism of political pluralism of any kind of the idea of a loyal opposition of any kind. And that's not conducive right now to the kind of liberalization that everyone thought would happen with a more economically open China. Nice, Clinton. John Major, actually. <laughs> oh, well, whatever. Anyway. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, last thoughts? Any? Besides, Rob, you, you did yours. <laughs> Alex? Um... Yeah, I mean, just piggybacking backing off Rob's, this is 
um, in terms of the wider context of, you know, why should, why should we matter as Americans? Why should, you know, in the regional thing, it's definitely something to pay attention to because, and a lot of, you know, as you said, Hong Kong is the test case. And as we've seen in the South China Sea, in the East China Sea, and, you know, cross-strait relationships with Taiwan, um, the extent to which uh, economic liberalization in mainland China has not led to political liberalization, which is something that was kind of assumed as the opening of China began. The received wisdom. Yes. Uh, looking back with 2020 hindsight, it's it seems like it's going to... Um, make, make it make, uh, especially Taiwan, but neighbors in general think twice about doing business. However, the monkey, you know, the elephant, <laughs> the elephant in the room remains, the uh, China, the, the giant, uh, financial panda in the room remains. Um, China is one of the, is the biggest market in the world. It's the fastest growing economy in the world. There's a lot of influence that comes with that. So, you know, nations like us, even, you know, nations like Australia are weighing, how much you know how much business do we want to do with a, a decidedly illiberal power but there's so much business to be done with it so where is the dividing line and that's something that every uh you know country both in the region and outside the region has that decision to make you may not be interested in china but china (laughs) (laughs) big brother will always be interested in you i can't do that um you know i think uh my only real thought is to see where it goes like who who's willing to hold out longer, the protesters or the bill? I mean, how long are they gonna keep protesting? With like, okay, fine, we'll try this we'll, again. In we'll two put years. it in a we'll put it in a deeper and lower uh, drawer. Yeah, it's like, still in the drawer. It's like, we'll come back to it later, but yeah. I feel like eventually it's, it's, it has to stop at some point. I mean, mm-hmm. so we'll see what happens. I mean, this could be going on in a couple months. If, if it's still going on, we might do it uh, re up and kind of see where we're at. But uh, anyway, that was almost dramatic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.